For the first three decades of Chicago's existence, slavery was legal in the United States. And that meant people tried to escape bondage, often walking over hundreds of miles, hoping to settle in a safe place. These freedom seekers sometimes got help in that journey. And you've probably heard of the Underground Railroad, an informal network of people who offered shelter, protection, food, clothing, and advice to freedom seekers. You've also probably heard of Harriet Tubman, who guided people to freedom on the eastern shore of Maryland, or John Brown, who created a network that began in Kansas and Missouri, and then sent people north from there. The Underground Railroad existed throughout Illinois, including Chicago. But sometimes Chicagoans have made dubious claims about family ties to the Underground Railroads. The big problem we have with this is that all the time people are identifying Underground Railroad sites that simply are not. And often, the story is told as good-hearted white people helping black people escape slavery. Which did happen, but it's not the whole story. We know that there were black freedom seekers coming through Chicago and they were being assisted by black families. Coming up, reporter Olivia Richardson explores truths and myths about the Underground Railroad in Chicago and Illinois. Curious City is supported by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Curious City today to get 10% off your first month. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Olivia Richardson. Multiple listeners of Curious City had questions about Illinois and Chicago. They wanted to know why Illinois isn't better known for its participation in the Underground Railroad. Places like Boston, Maryland, and Kansas seem to be better known, and they wanted to know if Chicago had stops. If so, where? And was there one in their neighborhood? I'm going to address these questions, but first, a quick aside. The historians I talk to are moving away from referring to an enslaved person escaping slavery as a fugitive slave or a runaway slave. Historians prefer to use the term freedom seeker to refer to what enslaved Black folk were doing, seeking freedom from enslavement. So one question came from Mac Payton. He was teaching English and language arts at the Stagg School of Excellence on 74th and Morgan. He thought of a project where students could write a historical fiction about their neighborhood. Mac was looking for a general history about the neighborhood when he came upon a website with only a paragraph of information that mentioned a stop just three miles from his school. I just noticed that one line mentioning an underground railroad stop in Inglewood, and I was like, this is fascinating, and I need to know more. 
Mac gets the gist of how the Underground Railroad operated in Illinois, that people from the Deep South think Arkansas, Louisiana, Alabama, even freedom seekers from surrounding states like Missouri and Kentucky would travel north to Chicago and its suburbs. But he wanted to know more about that stop in Inglewood he read about. He wanted to know if Inglewood was a part of the Underground Railroad. I reached out to historian Dr. Larry McClellan. He's an emeritus professor of sociology and community studies at Governor State University and has studied the Underground Railroad in Illinois and the Midwest for about 20 years. And to be blunt, McClellan thinks there probably wasn't a stop in Inglewood. I kind of feel by now I would have probably heard of that. I don't have any direct information. I'm always open to more information. The big problem we have with this is that all the time people are identifying underground railroad sites that simply are not. In the 1870s and 80s, after the Civil War, it was a very prestigious thing to have been involved in the movement for abolition. McCullen says many white people who may have opposed slavery later claim to have helped freedom seekers, even if that's not true. My hunch is that the house at 47th and Racine, maybe there is an abolitionist connection. That is, there were people that were opposed to slavery. And somehow a story developed that they helped freedom seekers. Apart from the question about Inglewood, Curious City got a question about the Underground Railroad in Illinois more broadly, and that's a complex topic. Illinois as a state wasn't in its entirety a safe haven for those seeking freedom from enslavement. And there are really two eras to talk about, before and after the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. Before 1850, Chicago wasn't very involved in the Underground Railroad. So let's talk about Illinois, the whole state, before the act. Remember, people were coming north from Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Alabama. Chicago was thought of as relatively safe before 1850, but to get there, freedom seekers had to pass through southern Illinois. It was very dangerous in southern Illinois. The whole southern part of the state was very much pro-slavery, and uh, there were regular kidnapping gangs and other slave catchers that were on the lookout. So, uh, Freedom seekers had to be extraordinarily careful. One of the ways they traveled was by following the rivers of the Mississippi Valley. Following the rivers also allowed for less tracking. The water could wash footprints and mask scents. But also, many of the river systems pointed and led to Chicago. The people who lived along the Mississippi in the 1830s were more diverse than in many parts of the U.S. That helped freedom seekers. There were, of course, white people, but there were also free and enslaved black people. There were also indigenous people. That diversity made it unclear who was enslaved or not, and thus easier for a freedom seeker to pass unnoticed. One of the reasons Chicago became such an important goal for people was because in this Mississippi River Valley culture, word was passed very easily. And so very early on, word reached all the way to New Orleans that one of the ways to freedom was to get yourself to Chicago because of this very complex culture, a very diverse culture of folks up and down the Mississippi River. And so part of why Illinois becomes so important is because we essentially are benefiting from the word being passed along the river culture. And the word gets to Black people living on plantations, 
And they know if they can get to the Mississippi River Valley and head north, they can find their way to freedom. That's really interesting, especially because I, I don't know, when I think about it, I'm always like, who do you trust and how do you make that journey? So it's kind of interesting to hear that they, like the diversity of people kind of helped build, I suppose, that ability to know who to trust and how to guide yourself or be guided. Right, right. And I think the fact that there were people of African descent in so many different roles along the Mississippi, that of course, people escaping off of plantations or off of farms, if they see people of color, they're going to trust them first. And the fact that along the Mississippi, there was this great diversity of people of color, you know, really contributed to the kind of communications. I, I'm, I'm really convinced of that. Before the 1850s, when freedom seekers reached Chicago, they found the city a decent place to live, according to Glenette Tilly Turner. She's a historian, lecturer, and author that's written books on the Underground Railroad in Illinois. She says before 1850, Chicago was a terminus, a destination for freedom seekers. It was really quite a safe place for Underground Railroad freedom seekers to put down roots and be able to benefit from their labor after all they had done all the work of the plantation. And Chicago had many people who opposed slavery and were willing to welcome freedom seekers. Chicago, more than other cities such as Boston or Philadelphia or Cincinnati, uh, had just such wonderful cooperation of people of different ages and denominations and races and income brackets. And so it really was quite a good place to arrive. That is until the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. That law made it legal for so-called slave catchers to travel up north to re-enslave people who had escaped bondage. And it made it illegal for people in places like Chicago to interfere. That's coming up after the break. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I'd never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. In 1850, Congress passed the Fugitive Slave Act as part of a series of compromises designed to prevent a civil war. The act gave the right for enslavers to pursue freedom seekers into states where slavery was outlawed. And be it further enacted that when a person held to service or labor in any state or territory of the United States shall hereafter escape into another state or territory of the United States, the person to whom such service or labor may be due may pursue and reclaim such fugitive person. The act also made it criminal to stop so-called slave catchers or to help freedom seekers avoid capture or escape to Canada. 
and be it further enacted that any person who shall knowingly and willingly obstruct, hinder, or prevent such claimant from arresting such a fugitive, or shall rescue or attempt to rescue such fugitive, or assist such person, shall be subject to a fine not exceeding $1,000 and imprisonment not exceeding six months. It was a really absolutely atrocious law, one of the kind of really evil laws in the history of the American legal system. Again, Dr. Larry McClellan. The Act of 1850 essentially guaranteed that the only way that freedom seekers could be free would be if they made their way to Canada. Which meant Chicago could no longer be a final destination. Instead, freedom seekers continued to pass through Chicago, but with Canada as their ultimate goal. Even though it was illegal, Black abolitionists in Chicago continued to help freedom seekers. There were lots of ways to help. One was to loan their freedom papers to aid those seeking to make it to Canada. Glenette Tilly Turner describes a man by the name of Reverend Richard D. Baptiste. He lived in Chicago and preached at Olivet Baptist Church in Bronzeville. And secretly, he was part of the Underground Railroad. Reverend Baptiste loaned his papers to freedom seekers who would take them to Detroit. In Detroit, his brother had an excursion boat or boat service that went to Canada by day. And then by night, it would transport freedom seekers and the freedom seekers who had borrowed Reverend B. Baptiste's papers would return them to his brother and the brother you know, would get them back to him. Ted Karamansky, public history professor at Loyola University, says that after the Fugitive Slave Act, Black people in Chicago organized themselves to help freedom seekers. And so they developed a strong network of informants, and they had the ability to kind of come together at short notice if one of the members of the African-American community were being pursued by a slave catcher from the South. And so even if they were aided by federal marshals, they were often able to go ahead and uh, draw attention to what was happening. And then other citizens, not all African-American, would gather together also and make a scene and usually aid in then the individual who was going to be captured making their escape. There are accounts of white people helping freedom seekers in this period as well. One example is memorialized in a plaque in South Holland, a suburb south of Chicago. It recognizes John and Aggie Ton, two Dutch farmers who were part of the Illinois Underground Railroad. And we've got very good documentation that the Ton family, along with another called the Kuiper family, directly assisted freedom seekers as they traveled through the region. Dr. McClellan thinks the Tums were helping people get from Chicago to Detroit, where they could cross to Canada. It wasn't common for white people to risk helping freedom seekers, especially once that became a crime in 1850. But Dr. McClellan thinks it's significant these families were from the Netherlands. Bear in mind that the Dutch that came to settle, the immigrants that came to America, in part, they were leaving Holland because of frustrations and persecution related to political ideas, related to religious ideas, and they were really looking for a fresh start. So my sense is that when the Dutch got here into the Chicago area, they were kind of predisposed to people that were seeking their freedom because they'd come to expand their freedom and choices. And seeing the kind of oppression that the freedom seekers had come out of 
they responded. The plaque exists because in 2011, a high school student named Lerone Branch wanted to recognize the efforts made by the Ton family. And that gets to one of the questions we raised earlier. Why don't we know more about the Underground Railroad in Chicago? Part of the reason is that efforts to memorialize it in the region have been sporadic, driven by a handful of people. And that work isn't easy. Information about which people were abolitionists or members of the Underground Railroad can be difficult to find. I mean, it's there. But researching includes sifting through aging copies of the Chicago Tribune and other publications that are now more than a century and a half old, just to find articles and wanted notifications from the time. And remember, back then, many times the work, especially for Black abolitionists and freedom seekers, would be dangerous to document. Another big reason people don't know more about this history? Dr. McClellan thinks that for decades, most of the research on the Underground Railroad focused on the part white abolitionists played. We know that there were Black freedom seekers coming through Chicago and they were being assisted by Black families. But of course, that's not the accepted history. And it's that same, the dilemma that we have with Black history in so many areas is that it is ignored history. It is overlooked history, in some instances, suppressed history. But basically, I think it's been just ignored. And part of what we're doing is reconstructing that. It can be tempting to romanticize the Underground Railroad, to imagine people hiding out from so-called slave catchers or sneaking to Canada at night. But it's important to remember that for freedom seekers, this was deadly serious. Some were caught and returned to bondage, and the people who helped them also took a terrible risk, especially the Black people who might have been captured and re-enslaved. That's why Glennette Tilly Turner, Larry McClellan, and others doing this work want that history to be better understood. That was reporter Olivia Richardson. If you're interested in learning more about Underground Railroad sites in Chicago and Illinois, check out wbez.org slash Curious City. Thanks to Justine Tobiash for archival assistance. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. Jason Mark produces the show. Maggie Civit is the engagement producer. Adriana Cardona-McGeegat is our intrepid reporter. And Jesse Dukes edits the show. I'm Joe Dassault. Thanks for listening. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.